Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as the Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams, where Nat and Sarah honed in on their three-step process, purposefully translating the esoteric into the tangible. Nat Cook gained her experience as a five-time Olympian in the sport of beach volleyball and reached the pinnacle by winning gold on her home beach of Bondi in 2000. Using the law of attraction before she had a name for it, one of her manifestations was meeting a fellow Canadian beach volleyball player, Sarah Maxwell, in 2001. Falling in love, they trained and competed against one another in Australia for years before marrying in 2008 and creating their biggest joy, their beloved four-year-old daughter, Jordan. Manifesting their dream of living in Europe, they have recently returned from their Swiss adventures as the full-time family where this podcast was birthed. During the unprecedented COVID-19 lockdown, the podcast has been cleansed with a fresh new colour, design and even a new name, which means Nat has been booted off the show, of course. No, I'm just kidding. She will still be featured. But the time had come to raise the game and bring you even more uplifting conversations from entrepreneurs making their mark on the world, parents who are demonstrating what's possible, doctors, therapists and experts with a contribution to make legendary athletes who have been living out loud for years. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with a young executive who is poised to take a billion-dollar company into its next iteration. Captaining his prestigious Arizona State University golf team, where he earned his business communications degree, he went on to do an intensive leadership development course at Harvard Business School last year. Eric Coover is currently the Chief Visionary Officer at Isogenics International, where he leads the company's fastest-growing demographic, millennials. Earning Marketing Executive of the Year in 2015 by the American Business Awards, Eric is leading the company's aggressive sustainability initiatives with a goal of zero waste packaging by 2028. Married to his dynamo wife, I didn't know what other word to use for her, Peter Kelly, who was featured in Forbes magazine for Best 30 Under 30. She is blissed out as mother to soul three and packs five months She has wrangled Eric out of the US and then the UK and back to her home beaches of Perth, Australia for the moment. Thanks, Eric, for speaking to our community of dreamers who listen intently on what it takes to live your dream and make a difference in the process. So thanks for being here. This is awesome. Sarah, thanks so much for having me. I always appreciate the work that you do. And uh, yeah, just honored to be on on the podcast. So look, Eric, you're making such a huge impact in the world amidst the large casting shadow of incredibly successful parents. So what did you dream 
about as a little boy, you know, being exposed to so many opportunities, like I can imagine you were growing up with parents like yours? Yeah, well, for me, when I first, uh, ever since I was little, I mean, I was always into sports and, um, you know, I played soccer growing up, I played basketball, baseball, I just kind of played everything. But the one sport that kind of really started to, I started to fall in love with was actually golf. And uh, literally from the age of eight to 22 years old, for six to eight hours a day, every single day I was out of the golf course. And that was kind of like, my dream was to become a professional golfer. And uh, I kind of held that dream starting when I was eight years old. And uh, I literally used to, um, you know, I, I didn't really have any lessons, but I, I used to just watch TV and I used to kind of mimic in the mirror uh, with like an imaginary golf club, <laughs> the, the swings of some of the best, uh, best golfers. And then I'd be out like we had a, we had a net in our um, backyard that I just hit golf balls into just all day long. And I'd imitate different players and I'd just like be out there having a blast and literally like six to eight hours would go by and I just, my, my hands would be all calloused up and just blistering and bleeding. And I, I just always loved golf. And so um, that was kind of my dream growing up and a dream that I pursued for a really long, really long time. Uh, as, as you mentioned, I earned a golf scholarship to Arizona State, uh, heading into university, and, um, which is always recognized as one of the top programs and uh, just an awesome, awesome school, especially if you want to be a golfer. So that was kind of always my dream going up, growing up, and I just kind of gave everything I had to it for, for a long time. So I, I actually could totally visualize you out there, um, you know, with that swing over and over and over and over again. What was it in your mind that allowed you while other kids, you know, pick up, you know, maybe a club for a second and then, you know, they want to do something else. What do you think had you as a kid go back over and over and over again? What has, what is that work ethic or that consistency? Where does that come from? Uh, I would say that definitely comes from, you know, watching my parents. Uh, I think that they are like, you know, my parents are, have always been, uh, had tremendous drive. Uh, I think in particular of my mom. I mean, she is like, you know, uh, the, the, the quickest way to have her do something is to her to get the feedback that she can't do it. <laughs> and, and I think that that is what like drives has driven my mom for so long. And so both my parents have an exceptional work ethic. And I think that's, I mean, at, at, when I was growing up, it's not something you're really conscious of, but just obviously, you know, when we're little, um, you know, we learn by observing and, and watching and, uh, you know, having two kids of my own, I, I, I know that full well, like, you know, you see kind of like the great qualities in your kids. Um, like, and it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's me right there. And then you see like the, the not good qualities in yourself come out in your kids. You're like, Oh my gosh, like that's totally me. So I, I thought um, you were going to say, Oh, that's totally my wife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I was definitely watching them. I think that, you know, they're, they've had tremendous amount to drive and I think that's, and I, you know, I just, I loved golf. I just like, that's one of the things that just kept me out there for so long is I just loved kind of, um, you know, golf's not a team sport. It was, it's kind of like all, it's all on me. And so, and I think that I've always kind of had this uh, chip on my shoulder that I think because my parents have uh, been very successful. 
I never wanted to be handed anything. Uh, I never wanted to, you know, kind of just be looked at as somebody that inherited anything. And so that's why I think I've held on to golf for so long. It was like, this is something that is like, I'm a hundred percent responsible for the result like that's happening. And this is totally my thing and my success or lack of success is all on me. And so that, uh, I don't know, that just kind of like really drove me. And, um, and I just, like I said, I just loved it. And, and actually when I decided that golf wasn't really going to be my path was kind of my last year of university when I really started to get burnt out and I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. So, but for a long time, I really did. You're so good. It's like, I'm, I'm telepathically, um, telling you things and you're answering them because I was going to ask about how do you transition a dream when something has been your sole focus, you're the cap, you know, you're voted by the players as the captain of your team at a prestigious, um, organization. How do you transition this thing that that's all, that is what you thought you were going to do. That was it. How do you shift that? And what do you think the burnout was about? Well, that, that's a really, uh, that was a really tough thing for me to do because, because, you know, we're, we latch onto our identity so much as humans. And, uh, for me, my whole life, my identity was golf. Like it was like, and, and then you start to think like, well, who, like, who am I without this sport? Like, it's just been such a huge part of my life. And, and, and I think honestly, I, I almost held on to golf for, for too long. I mean, I was, I was so, I was so burnt out and I was so um, just feeling like golf was a job for, you know, uh, really the last year, 18 months I was playing it. And, but I, again, I, I held on to it because I was afraid of change. I was afraid to kind of embrace, I was afraid to kind of face myself without something that had been in my life for so long because it was such a strong piece of my identity. Um, so I think that, you know, it kind of got to the point where literally I, you know, I felt like I kind of hit rock bottom in my, in my golf psyche. It was like, you know, my game started really going downhill and I just, uh, was starting to like dread going out on the golf course. And so that's when I, that's where it was kind of like, all right, enough was enough. And I had to kind of just open myself to new possibilities. And really, I think in that moment when I actually started to do that, I started to realize, man, like, um, there's just so much more to life and, and like holding on to your identity can be so limiting. <laughs> um, you know, and so that for me was, you know, holding on to, for golf for too long, but, but, but now it's, I look back on it and it is the, probably the best decision I ever made. And now I actually, when I go play golf and I wish I could play more, I enjoy it so much, so much more now, uh, because that, all the expectation is, is off my shoulders and you know everything like that so so that's really interesting thank you for i love your honesty about i had a chip on my shoulder about owning something and being fully mine um i'm relating to a lot of your experiences of identity and the things that we think matter in the early days so walk me into how you go from i'm gonna do it i'm not gonna get no one's gonna give me a leg up to walking into the doors of your parents' company. Um, and I don't know, maybe you didn't see it like that. Maybe that's just my impression from the outside. So how do you do that? Like, do you have to suck it up? Or are you kind of making mental transitions by this point where you can handle going into isogenics? 
Yeah, well, for me, it was uh, like my parents, the great thing about them is that, they, again, they, they supported me through every phase of my life. Like they were 100% behind me and pursuing golf. That was always, you know, they've just always been there to support, um, you know, so they've always been great about that. They never pushed isogenics on me or a different agenda and something like that. And, and I, I just hear so many stories of parents trying to push certain agendas on their kids or they're trying to like live, you know, <laughs> live through their kids and stuff like that. And so I'm so grateful that my parents didn't do that for me. They just kind of, you know, always were there for me. But it actually, when I fully decided to step into isogenics, uh, actually it was uh, another person who kind of got to know me at one of our isogenics events and we just had a conversation and basically he was working for the company and he sent me an email a few days later and he said, you know, Hey, I just see a lot of potential in you. I think you could do great things, um, you know, in the company and, you know, we could do, just do some really good things together. And it was kind of that third party validation that I needed, you know, from somebody that wasn't my parents that just kind of saw potential in me. And from that moment, it was like, all right, like, I'm, I'm doing this. I called my parents and I was like, you know, I, I, I really want to, to join everything you guys are doing. And, and I, I, had, uh, I had some experience before that um, actually working as a distributor within Isogenics. Um, but I fully decided to join the corporate side of, of the company when, um, when <clears throat> this individual kind of saw this potential in me. So, and, but I really had the same mentality when I made that decision, it was like, I didn't want to get, I, I really knew that, look, people could easily look at me and say, Oh, here comes the, the owner's son. Here we go. You know, um, you know, he's going to get the, the corner office and, you know, he's just going to rise up the ranks and uh, he's some spoiled little rich kid and all that stuff. And that like really was in my mind. Like, and I don't know what it, it's been. It's just always kind of in my mind. And I always, everything in my life just really wanted to, I never wanted to be handed anything and I wanted to prove myself. And so um, I started, you know, in our customer service department, just uh, listening to calls for a month. Um, and I started with, with, literally with the most basic role in, in a cubicle and uh, just like made the decision to fully commit to, to isogenics, but I was going to start at the bottom and didn't want to get handed anything and just kind of, uh, prove my value, my worth, and know that I could contribute in my own unique way. And that was a thing that, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself too, because my parents are amazing people. And, uh, and I, I felt like I, you know, I wrestled with this thing of, I have to be like them, speak like them. And like, I knew that there was this expectation. And, uh, so I guess I just decided, Hey, I'm going to contribute in my own unique way. And, and just kind of commit to the process and uh, just prove that I can make an impact. So speaking of this unique way, um, you were, I just want to go a little into the fact that someone saw what you were capable of, this third party validation. How do you feel like your captaining skills, your sport captaining skills started to show up in a business setting? How do you see that transferability of that skill? Well, I think that especially in golf, uh, I mean, you fail every day. <laughs> I mean, it's like you, you, you become your worst, you know, you could, I could go out and play an incredible round of golf, but 
my focus is literally, literally on all the mistakes and you know how much better it could have been and and you're just like the amount of times that you actually win in golf is so few and so you're just kind of like you, i think through like 15 plus years of dedicating your life to a sport athletes were used to failure like over and over we're used to like kind of being um having to start out in a sport and kind of be a disaster uh and you know just know that work ethic practice you know you, you you build skills and all that stuff and you build and you just become better and better and better and better and and you don't and you don't get as attached to failure and you're not afraid of a failing mm-hmm. and i think that that has so served me you know throughout my whole isogenics journey in business is you know when i like when i commit to something i commit one time like I don't like when I committed to golf, I made the decision. I'm going to commit one time to the sport. I want to be the best golfer in the world. You know, I put affirmations all over my room, like on, on my ceiling every morning when I woke up, it said number one golfer in the country when I was going to school like that, that's what I wanted to do. And I, I was like, I committed one time for 15 years. I didn't have to like say, Oh, this is something I'm going to do, you know, f- you know, this month. And then I was out the next, I mean, it, this is, this is my vision. And so with isogenics, and so it, it, so when you have failure come your way, it's just like, cool, this is just a part of it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at this, but I'm just committed to the process and getting better because I'm committed. So in isogenics, it was kind of like when I first started, like I was a disaster. Like I, did, I, I couldn't speak, thinking about speaking in front of group, a group of people. I mean, I remember when I did like my first conference call uh and there was like 10 people on my heart was pounding out of my chest and i i'd rehearsed it like 50 times a conference call you know and this was like before zoom and all that stuff and so but it but even though i was a disaster it just i i didn't let me being a disaster and kind of failing uh get in the way of just improving and getting better and so i think that that is the single greatest weapon that I've really, I learned just by being an athlete was just not afraid to, to just mess up and fail and, you know, and be a disaster. Thank you for saying that thing about repetition, not afraid to fail that, that vision of you swinging the golf club is still with me when you were young. Cause my perception of you from the outside is innovative. When I think about you with millennials, um, you know, inside of Isogenics, really being a beacon for attracting millennials, this generation. And I feel like you just seem to, you know, the way it looks from the outside is, oh, he snaps his fingers and it's innovative. How does it feel for you? Do you think you're innovative? Do you think you get lucky? Or is it just because you keep swinging? Uh, yeah, I mean, that it's definitely because, you know, I keep swinging and our team keeps swinging, uh, you know, as a company, I think that that, like, look, I look back on the last three years in, in our business, it's been one of the most challenging adversity filled seasons of that I, you know, that I could ever remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like because we kept swinging and because so many things started to happen, you know, uh, beneath the surface that, you know, at the time, like anytime you face challenge and adversity, it sucks. Like it, it's just like in the moment, it sucks. I think about personal adversity, but then you, you know, you look back on it two, three, four, five years later. And it's like, that was the greatest, most important blessing I could have had in my life. And so that's kind of the season that we've been through. Uh, but we've, 
we've never, as you said, we've never stopped swinging through the process. And now, you know, we're kind of setting up this new evolution that we're about to go in in the company. And I've never felt our team more aligned, more clear and more uh, focused than we are now. And it's because it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a product of all of the, the messiness and just chaos and uncertainty and like just tough times that we've really had to go through, yeah. you know, any company, you know, just like any person, you're, you're not going to go through. It's a life cycle where it's just, you know, year over year growth by 30, 40% every single year. I mean, that's not, that's not life. Um, and so just recognizing that, you know, life is made up of different seasons, uh, and, but just to kind of keep the big picture vision in mind and consistently casting a vision over and over and over again, sometimes it's going to be messy. Sometimes it's going to feel incredible, but it's just all part of the process. So cool. Isn't it cool that we've seen this thing about swinging? I love that you're using that. That's really cool. Um, so sustainability, I feel that you taking on zero waste by 2028 is massive in an organization like as big as Isogenics. And I've loved your openness about it. I've loved how you take people along for the ride because I feel like everybody knows they should say sustainability. However, actually doing it is I'm quite loving the ride that you're taking us all on. So take, tell me, what gives you the balls to go for that? And, <laughs> and how do you keep swinging at that? Because it's no easy thing. Yeah, well, I think that, like, we, you know, I think goals are a big thing. And, and what we did about two years ago is we set, like, a big goal that kind of scared the hell out of, out of everybody. And we've set a goal within our company to have zero waste packaging by 2028. Now, like that, at the time, that was 10 years. So, you know, we set that goal in 2018 and we gave ourselves 10 years. That, se that might seem like a long time or, you know, uh, uh, for some people, trust me, for our internal team, like that doesn't seem like a long time. That seems like, you know, because we knew we had a lot of improvements to make. And so th the first part is just setting the goal. Now, I, I really hope that we get there. Like I, I'm counting on it that we're going to get there. But because we've set the goal, now the whole organization, kind of every decision that we're making is being filtered through this goal. And so, and the amount of progress that we're making because of it is just, is what's really, really exciting. So by 2028, if, again, I'm hoping we accomplish it, you know, I'm sure we will, but even if we fell a little bit short, it's like, well, look at how far we've come. Yeah. And so because we've, we've set that goal and we've kind of had the whole organization moving through it. Now, sustainability is a you know all it takes is like you to watch one documentary and it's e very very easy for you to get just so frustrated on uh, the impact that we're you know have all having on the environment and so uh you know we kind of set that goal and we decided to you know tackle our biggest thing first which was you know our our shakes which you know we sell we you know about 8 million a year. And so we transition all of those to hundred percent recycled material. Uh, and then you can recycle them again. Uh, so we essentially went from like, you know, 8 million virgin plastic canisters, uh, being produced to essentially net zero. I mean, we went to hundred percent recycled material and that was a huge, you know, it's a huge accomplishment. 
and we're continuing to make tons of improvements. But what we've basically committed to, as you said, taking people along the journey um, in the process and just letting them know, like everybody wants it overnight. Like, and I think that a, co- a lot of companies can learn that the more transparent you are, like the better. And even though people want things overnight, we've kind of let people know, look, we want, we wish we could have it overnight, but you know, our products, safety and quality is like first and foremost for us. And anytime you tamper with packaging, you know, shelf life is involved. And, you know, we, we have to ship our product by boat, by air, by truck. And we have to test all those products to make sure that they're, when we change the packaging, to make sure that they're not damaged and, you know, in transit and that the shelf life is still, they don't go rancid. And there's just so much that goes into it. And, you know, there's just not a whole lot of companies that can meet our, our quantities because we're a large company. Now there's tons of new companies emerging and starting to scale and it's so exciting. Um, but that's why, that's why it just doesn't really happen overnight. Um, we wish it could. Um, but just so much progress has been made. And we've just committed that every single month we're going to have a new, new update that mm-hmm. an improvement that we're kind of talking about. So we've done a lot like over the last, you know, your, the transparency that you bring is so educational. I'll just tell you my perception of sustainability is righteousness. So like you said, you watch a documentary and then you're going to cast judgment across, you know, and having grown up as a very righteous person, I know this game. And so, you know, when we marry that to the planet, we have plenty of things that we want people to do. But what, what you're doing, I feel is actually taking your goal and your statement and making it real. And, and like some of the things that you guys share, I think to myself, Oh, I never thought of that. Didn't even know about that. It's just awesome. Like, and transparency, I just, as you're speaking, I'm getting some of what you bring to the table. I feel, and I think your parents are like this as well, but as a company, you represent transparency because I think it takes courage. A lot of people aren't transparent. So to be the ones that are, and to take all of it, meaning this is our truth. This is where we stand and we're opening up. And sometimes you guys get slapped around for it and yet you keep standing. It's such a powerful place to stand was what I'm trying to say. So I'm just blown away by um, how your parents comport themselves. Is that even a word? Comportment. I grew up in French. I spoke French when I was young. So sometimes there's words that I say. I used to speak to my mom and she couldn't speak French. And I would say, the word and she's like what and i just never knew the english word which i think that was one of them but basically how they handle themselves let's go with that how they handle themselves in terms of not pushing you in the early days how you came forward and how you're adding your flavor but you grew up in network marketing so did you ever resist network marketing and how do you approach people that have a negative view of something that you've always seemingly had a positive impact because this is I'm, I'm so curious about that what what's the the feeling in your world around network marketing as a profession yeah well that's i certainly i definitely resisted uh i mean i and i resisted for a long time uh i because i was kind of a product of what i had seen my parents go through in this profession of network marketing i think at, at its core when it's done right Network marketing can be, you know, one of the most beautiful business models in the world when it's done right with integrity. I mean, it's it's an epic model when it's done right. Unfortunately, you know, there's 
certain companies and stuff like that that don't really have the greatest intentions and they're not really doing things the right way. And unfortunately, the, the good companies that are trying to do things the right way, they kind of get lumped in with some of the, you know, ones that don't have good intentions. And that's why this industry can kind of come with a stigma to it. But before, you know, Isogenic started, my parents were involved in, in several companies. My dad was consulting for other, uh, other network marketing companies. And, and we actually moved, we, we relocated our family five times in a two and a half year span. Uh, to five different states around the U.S. because my dad would basically go consult for these companies. You know, we'd be there for about seven months and he'd realize that, you know, the ownership here just doesn't really get it. They're not about the people. Like, this isn't going to last. And so we'd have to relocate again. And and then eventually he retired. My mom was a distributor in some of the other companies and, and they had been, um, you know, either the companies that she was with either went out of business or one of them got shut down by the FTC, you know, and so it was like, they, they kind of, they had a lot of baggage, you know, they, they just had been through a lot in the industry, but they were still such believers in this profession. And so when they started Isogenics, it was kind of their vision to create a company that would be a home for people that they could really count on for generations to come. That was all about the people. Uh, and so that didn't have an exit strategy attached to it. And so, but you asked if I was resistant, because I had seen my parents go through all those experiences when they first started Isogenics, like I was 14 years old and I used to, you know, I used to literally bring home products from other companies and try to tick my parents off. You know, I could, because in my mind, this was just another company, but we had relocated to Arizona and this company wasn't going to work out. We were going to be here for nine months and then we were going to have to move again. Cause that's what we had done the last three years. And so I was very, very skeptical. And as a result, I brought home products and, you know, from other companies and all other stuff. So, you know, sometimes family members can be the, the most skeptical. And, you know, it took me six years before I really decided to say yes to Isogenics and my parents own the company. And so I, I would say that, you know, timing is so crucial for people. And uh, so I, what I would say to people that are kind of skeptical or, you know, resistant, it's like, that's okay. Like, that's natural for people to be skeptical about certain things. There, I mean, there's so much stuff in the, on the planet. People should be skeptical. Like there's so much like, you know, there's so many people selling so many of these crazy things out there that like, that's why there's so much skepticism. And so we don't want people to join Isogenics for hype or because everybody else is doing it. We want people to join if it feels really in alignment for them and based on like real science and, like evidence and time tested quality. Um, like, and only if it's right for them, like Isogenics isn't for everybody. That's, that's cool. Like there's, there's other network marketing companies that are doing great things in the world that, you know, that are also a great stand for health and wellness and certain other things. And I think that that's the way we look at, you know, kind of competition is, that's the way I want to look at competition is the competition that we go to bat for every day is like people suffering around the world, physical through physical and financial pain, you know, not being a part of a community that's empowering. I mean, we live in a very negative world if you turn on the news. And so any company that is like helping people improve the quality of their life, physically, financially, you know, emotionally, if they're doing it in an ethical way with integrity, they're getting applause from isogenics. So, like that's, and I think we need more companies uh, 
you know, viewing competition that way. You, you, you said this earlier, I was going to ask you about it with your parents, but you've just shown it in yourself, this non-attachment, like you just don't seem attached to people. For example, you said it's not for everyone. What gives you that openness and acceptance of where people are at in terms of timing where I feel like sometimes yeah, people get their heels dug in and they, they need it to be a certain way. Where does that come from? And I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Maybe I'm just giving you a compliment, but it's like this, is that easy for you? Or do you work on that? Do you get frustrated or is it all, are you always this Zen? <laughs> well, I'm certainly not, you know, I have my moments, but I, um, I, I would say that like, um, it's very easy to get attached to, you know, like certain outcomes and stuff like that. And trust me, like I, you know, you post something on social media and you could have 10,000 positive comments, but one person that just like rips you to shreds. And where does your focus go? It goes on that one, <laughs> that one person. And uh, like you start thinking about, you know, what did I do wrong? Like I go through that a lot. So like that, like that. I'm certainly human and, and that's so natural, uh, to go through stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, we're so different as people, we all come from different backgrounds and cultures. And I mean, having traveled all around the world, it's like, you know, you see how, um, like there's that great quote. I don't even know who said the quote or I'm definitely paraphrasing it, but it's like one of the greatest mistakes that people can make is thinking that, other people see the world exactly as they do. Mm. I mean, there's just so many different perspectives. And so look, That's beautiful. like, you know, as a company, we're going to be, you know, preaching what we believe in and our values and like, you know, what we stand for and all that stuff. And, you know, we, we, to the best of our ability, we demonstrate the most integrity that we can and it's going to attract all the right people and all the right people are going to show up. You know, that doesn't, ha it doesn't have to be everybody. So um, yeah, I just think that, you know, it's, we're just so different as people. And, uh, but I will say that, you know, going back to the kind of the hateful comments or I don't know, whatever. I mean, I, sometimes I use that as like fuel. I mean, I will say that we've been through a season in our company where we've got, uh, we've certainly copped tons of different, uh, you know, uh, opinions and, and our, our fair share of, uh, people trying to sabotage what we're doing. And honestly, sometimes I, I love going in and looking at that stuff because it motivates the hell out of me. Like it, it, that stuff can either like tear you down and demotivate you and knock you out of the game, or it can just like motivate the hell out of you and make you more clear, more focused than ever. And, uh, and I think that's kind of also the product of being an athlete is like, I'll tell you that, like, you know, I'm sure Nat and, uh, you know, so many of the different athletes, Michael Phelps, all these, you know, gold medalist Olympians, the people that tell them they can't do it, that's what motivates them. You know, it's like, you know, I just listen, I just watched that Michael Jordan. Yeah. I was going to quote Jordan there. Cause I said to yeah. Nat, oh man, his driving force is I'll show you. That's and it. Wasn't it funny? He was like someone gets on his list. Oh, I'll show you. And I, I said that to Nat. I was like, man, he's had that since he was a kid. And so, yeah, I'm hearing that in you. I'll show you. That's cool. So, totally. And I mean, in Jordan, it was like, 
like in that documentary, he, there was an instance where nothing even happened, but he made up in his head, like a, a player said something just so that he would go do it. Like, and that's like, that's another level. That's what I thought. I was like, oh yeah, okay. That's not even a true truth. That was, yeah. um, but man, to be able to back it up, like that's what I loved about Jordan and his trash talking was that he could deliver on the promise. You know, he would tell a commentator the day before, watch this, this is what I'm gonna do. And I thought, wow, like, um, yeah, we love that special for what he was doing, but also the conversation Nat and I were having amidst watching it was really amazing. Totally, and, and I think some people, they like, uh, you know, as people, we want like the idea of these, everybody to be like so perfect and like, if they're great, you know, they're the best in the world, then they have to be a nice person too. And they have to be like, you know, like all this stuff. And then like, I think about some of the, you know, best influential leaders like Steve Jobs and like Elon Musk and uh, Michael Jordan, like these people, you know, I hear people give them grief, go, oh, Steve Jobs, you know, he was such a pain in the ass to work for. You know, well, like he, he couldn't have possibly done what he did if he was like any other way than what the way he was, you know? And so like, it's just like, um, and it, like to, for Jordan to be that good, you have to be the way he was, you know, like you just can't be like this nice fluffy person, you know? And yeah. I, wasn't that part of the message? I think there's something bigger about that special that everybody needs to grasp. I love when he said, everybody wants me to be the nice guy, but man, they like the win. They like the championship because that kind of standard, of course, is like a contrast. It grits at you. And, and yeah, there's there, that was amazing. I thought to bring the real person, you know, Nat was telling me something about Walt Disney that he was full on, you know, and all we think about is like Mickey Mouse and, happy, happy. But to make a vision like that, where everybody thought he was crazy to bring that to life. I don't know. I think you have to have some gusto and not everybody is going to find that rainbows and sunshine. So yeah, that's right. I, I, yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, that's right. Yeah. And you know, I, I brought up Steve jobs and like mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, the, these movies and stuff like that, they go into their family lives and how, you know, they were a struggle and stuff. And it's like, well, no kidding. I mean, the guy was like, you know, working 20 hours a day for, you know, it's like he was so committed to like pushing humanity and creating this new, you know, uh, like you just, we just can't, we, we set too big of expectations on people, you know, and instead of honoring what such gifts they are to the world, you know? So chief visionary officer, you are in this position as, you know, in this global international company, what's your vision? This is our tie up. We're going from Michael Jordan. So let's talk about your championship. What's your vision for the state of health and well-being in the world today? Just a small question to end it. Well, I think that obviously, you know, the world is going through a, a, a pandemic right now. It's crazy what's happening. And, um, you know, if there's one thing that we should, all, everybody should learn through all this, it's that, you know, we've got to look after ourselves. We've got to look after our health. We've got to put our health at the forefront of everything. Because uh, if we don't have our health, 
then ultimately we can't be our best for, you know, our families, our communities. We just, you know, you can have all the money, all the everything in the world, but if you don't have your health, you don't got squat. And so, but I think coming at health from a more like obviously preventative and holistic sense, instead of trying to put all these band-aids on things. And it's like, you know, we're in this world of like social distancing and all this stuff. Uh, like you see all this like reactionary stuff being done instead of like, why aren't we talking about like how to like make people healthier, like in boosting their immune systems and like just being healthier people so that, you know, our, our immunity and everything like that can better battle what there is in the world. I mean, we're, I, I just don't know what we expect that we just going to all be wrapped in saran wrap for the rest of our lives. And I mean, it's like, you know, our health is first and foremost, everything, you know, one of the biggest, uh, biggest companies in the world are, are, are drug companies. Uh, you know, people, you know, push people pushing prescription drugs and, you know, band-aids on certain things. And, uh, instead of looking at like, what, what is the actual core issue of why you're unhealthy and let's like go to work to fix that. And I, I love, like, I'm not saying people shouldn't be eating foods. I freaking love food. Like food is like, you know, life it is. And I love a good, good, incredible meal. Um, but I just think people need a, a foundation, uh, for their health that they can really count on that they can really stay consistent with. And I think that, uh, the best wellness program is, is one that you can be consistent with. And in order for it to be, in order to be consistent, it's gotta be affordable. It's got to uh, be convenient. It's got to taste good. So, uh, that's kind of what we're trying to do as a company is just, um, educate people around. Uh, nourishing themselves and their bodies and uh, and looking after themselves so they can be better people for their families and communities. Wow, oh, you're awesome. Gosh, you've said so many things that Nat and I talk about in our home. I don't know if you felt this, but, you know, what do we tell our kids? I'm so conscientious around this that what there's a situation that we've got and, and what are what messages are we actually giving our kids around? I'm just debating of how... Uh, you know, how open to get around this. But, you know, Jordan says to me, so when can we hug again? Not us in our family, but, you know, her friends. And also, when can I share my water bottle? And I said, why do you want to share your water bottle? And she's like, because sharing is caring. And I thought, you know, they have this message, sharing is caring. And then, but don't share that and don't touch that and don't hug that. Yeah. So these kind of messages, um, underlying and confusing because to be honest, they actually don't make sense. So thank you for addressing that. I always felt like that, you know, over the past seven years, Nat and I having this kind of nutrition in our body was what gives us freedom, what gives us freedom around food, what gives us freedom in the world. When all my friends cancel the play dates because they're, they're nervous around their kids being sick. I never cancel a play date. I, I, why would I, I don't, I, I just, yeah, it's just a whole different view of the world. So thank you for expressing yours. Um, I think you are, um, yeah, it's really beautiful. I feel really blessed that we get to be a part of your journey. And thank you for doing this and speaking to our community. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me on. I just so love you and Nat and everything you guys represent. And uh, little Jordan, um, you know, just grateful to be on the journey with you. Mwah. 
We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.